they would have known what it's like to take the good stuff and separate it from the bad stuff. Now, I don't have a degree in forestry. I do not have uh, any kind of knowledge. Some of you all have a PhD in the logwoods from the School of Hard Knocks. Okay? You all have been out there. You have, have cut those trees. And you know the difference between uh, the good stuff and the not-so-good stuff. My, my uh, layman's eye in that department, I drive around the, the streets of our fair city, and I see the trucks going by all hours of the day and night. And when I first moved here, we did not have any blinds in our kitchen. And so I get up at like 2 in the morning uh, to get a drink of water or something, and then I would see trucks rolling down park at like 2 in the morning, kid you not. Uh, if you've never been up at that hour, trust me, the trucks are still rolling even at that hour. And, uh, and it, But you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that not every one of those loads is the same. Uh, some of those, it looks like they're going to different places. Uh, some of it looks like pretty rough stuff. And they load it on there, and they put the red tag on the end of it, and it goes off, and I'm guessing that's the, that's the stuff that's going to go to pulp, right? And then there's that stuff that, man, it's the big stuff, and they, they cut it clean on the ends, and, and it's like, man, that, that's some good-looking stuff. So I don't know where it's going. Is that going to be furniture? Is, I don't know, is that going to be somebody's dining room table at some point? But it sure looks better than that other stuff. And so somebody makes the decision, this is the good stuff, this is the bad stuff. And so they would do the same thing. Growing, uh, not growing up there, but spending 21 years in Kentucky, I went and covered for Commonwealth Broadcasting. I would go and cover the opening day of the tobacco auctions. And so you show up at a big old tobacco warehouse. I mean, these buildings were just absolutely massive. You ever been up in northern Tennessee, uh, parts of Kentucky up, that, up there? The Burley markets are just absolutely huge. At least they were once upon a time. And and, and so they would they would have different grades of tobacco, and uh, and so that is exactly what's going on here when Jesus is saying uh, saying that you're going to be sifted. It's like you know Satan is saying, oh, let me do the sifting, let me do the sifting, let me tempt them, because I think you will find that they are more chaff than wheat. Let me have a crack at them is what the devil is saying. And for Jesus to look at Simon and say, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all. And I'm praying for you. Don't miss that, church. We go back to the early chapters of Job. And what do we read about Satan? That there he is going and presenting himself with some of the angels in heaven, presenting himself before the Lord. And the Almighty Father looks at Satan and says, Where, what, are, what have you been up to? He says, oh, you know, going back and forth on the earth. As if to say, you know, here, there, yonder. Little of this, little of that. And then what does God say? Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, oh... Oh, you better believe I have. And you have got a hedge of protection around him. Let me have a crack at him. And you'll see what he's really made of. 
come on. Yeah, let me have a crack at that guy. And don't you just see Satan looking at the twelve and saying, oh, let me have a crack at them. Oh, they're close to you. But they have been walking step by step with their Savior for the last three years. Let me have a crack at them. I don't think they're as strong as you think they are. And for Jesus to say, Peter, I'm praying for you, buddy. It's something. And then Peter, to be able to say, hey, you go to jail, I'll go to jail with you. They're not putting you in the stocks alone. I'm going to be right by your side. Whatever it takes, man, they come after you, they got to come through me. Swords? Oh, look, we got swords. We're ready. And then we move a bit further in the story down to chapter 31. I'm sorry. Uh, that was supposed to be verse 31. We've already read. Uh, down to uh, verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man? I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Church family, put yourselves in Peter's shoes for just a moment. The great Fred Craddock, who died a few years ago, wonderful preacher, said this right here is an example of courage and cowardice at the same time. He had enough courage to follow. He had enough courage to stay close to Jesus. But relatively close, right? Because we're told that he followed at a distance. And so he's there in the courtyard... He's close enough to Jesus that after the first, the second, then the third denial, 
that he hears the rooster crow and he can see Jesus looking at him. The same Jesus that he had declared just hours before, no matter what happens, I am sticking with you. The same Jesus that he had walked away from the family business for. The same Jesus that he had walked with faithfully for three years. And yet in that moment where all he had to do is say, yes, I know him. And things are not as they seem. Just because someone gets arrested doesn't mean they're guilty. That's what it would have meant. What it might have looked like to stand up for his Savior in that moment. But he couldn't do it, could he? And of course they can recognize him. Because this is a Jewish group that has arrested him. This is members of the temple guard. These are people who had certainly been present at the temple at different times. Where was Jesus often teaching when he was in Jerusalem? Well, he was at the temple, wasn't he, church? At the temple in broad daylight. And so... You don't have to do a lot of investigative research to figure out that this guy, Simon Peter, had been seen with Jesus over and over and over again. And yet in this moment, where all he had to say is, yes, I know him. I'm one of his followers. He was gripped with something that will destroy our faith if we let it, church. It will certainly destroy our witness when we have an opportunity to be a witness for our Lord and Savior. And church family, that's fear. When Paul would write to Timothy many years later, he would say, the Lord does not give us a spirit of fear. I've always taken that to feel like, you know, God gives us discernment. He allows us to know danger. But that when we are gripped with fear, that that is not of the Lord. Let me say that again, church. When we are gripped with fear, that is not of the Lord. When we are gripped with fear, that is not of the Lord. Third time's the charm. But yeah, please understand when I do that, I'm not asking you to affirm me. I'm asking you to affirm one of God's truths. Because that's what you're here for. Not me, but God's truth. And I know that. When we allow fear to disrupt our thinking, when we allow fear 
to get us to that point that we are not putting our priorities in the right order. When we are allowing ourselves to be gripped with fear to the point that we say, you know what, i got to do something. Instead of getting on our knees and saying, God, I need you to do something. That's how fear, subtle as it can work in our lives, that's how, how fear can erode our faith and drive a wedge between us and the Almighty Father. And Peter in this moment is a living example of that. We all know how bold Peter has been up to this point. And we know how bold Peter will be a few months from now. But in this moment, Peter is just a sinner in need of grace. And so before we move on to John 21, I ask the question, have you ever been betrayed? You know what it's like to be stabbed in the back when you needed somebody and in that moment they were not there for you. A lot of you know what it's like to go through something and you came out on the other end and you thought, wow, I really figured out who my friends were in all this. Because they were the people that stood by me. And they were the people that were nowhere to be found. But then let me ask this question. As you might sit here, and maybe you've never had a betrayer. (laughs) Consider yourself blessed. But while some of you were thinking about those moments where someone that you thought was with you was not with you. You could name your betrayers if you were called on to do so. Let me ask another question. Have you ever betrayed someone else? Have you ever not been there when someone needed you? Have you ever in a moment of weakness said something about someone that you wish you could have taken could take back? Have you ever had that moment where you said, not me, I don't know them. Because maybe their reputation in the community was falling a bit. I would say this church, if you know what it's like to sin, then you know what it's like to betray God. So the answer is yes. On some level, we are all guilty of betrayal. And so now we turn to John 21. And we pick it up with verse 15. The scene is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter has recognized that Jesus is the one on the shore. There is a miraculous catch of fish that echoes Luke chapter 5. 
And so Simon was there for the first one. He's there for the second one. And he knows without a doubt this is the risen Savior. And so he swims to shore. And what does Jesus do first thing? He feeds him breakfast. And so verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger and dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. For every time that he said, I don't know him, he made him declare his love for him. For every time he said, No, I'm not here for you. He made him say, you know I'm here for you. And John records that that third time hurt. He knew without a doubt, I think, why Jesus was making him say it a third time. And in his mind, he had a very vivid image of standing in that courtyard warming his hands by the fire in the cool of the morning and in that moment looking across that courtyard and seeing the face of Jesus after he had betrayed him but what does Jesus do church family with his betrayers he says come on back and follow me. And he seeks for us to do the same. Peter spent a time on the run. We know that he was not considered among the apostles because he is. The declaration is made when Jesus rises from the grave go tell the apostles and who, church? And Peter. Go tell the apostles and Peter that I've risen. And so for that declaration he made, he was not one of them. He had turned his back on his Savior. He had turned his back on his Lord. And church family, if we're not careful... We let fear and we let sin do the same for each one of us. And so let's be careful. Let's be people who are aware of our sin. Let's be people who are aware of our fear. 
And instead of saying to ourselves, I have to do something, that we're willing to go to our knees and say, God, I'm in trouble. I need you to do something. That we don't let fear drive a wedge between us and God. That we don't spend time on the run away from God to where we have to be called back. But please know this. If you're away from God right now, your Savior is saying, come, follow me. Just say once again that you love me. And I am right here for you. Church family, isn't that a beautiful thing? If you're with us today and you have not yet ever declared your love for Jesus, why not let this be the moment? Why not let this be the day? If you are here today and there is something that is weighing on you, then I invite you to come. I invite you to share with us what's weighing on you so that we as a faithful body of believers can offer up prayers on your behalf. Our Savior, as many times as we might betray Him, is standing there saying, Come, follow me. And so I invite you this morning to come. phone call that says uh, we need to see you first thing Monday morning.
and we'll discuss a course of treatment. And so uh, some of you know what it's like. Some of you are cancer survivors. But uh, we're going to go to God in prayer on Chloe's behalf. And we're going to ask for healing. Our shepherd, Rick Jones, is going to lead us. You bow with me, please. Father, we love you. We trust you. And Father, this morning we come before you with a fervent prayer. We pray, Father, that you will be with Chloe and her family in this process they're about to go through, Father. We can't hurt like they are hurting, but we pray, Father, that you'll help us to empathize with them, to encourage them. And Father, we just pray that the best medical care here on earth can be rendered to her, that her outcome will be that she will be cancer-free. And Father, we ask that you provide healing for her, provide comfort and peace of mind during this process. Father, just help each of us find anything that we can do to lighten their burden. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Chloe, you're one of my favorites because you put up with Jeff. And so we, you show us every day what long-suffering looks like. We love you all. A uh, uh, reminder that when we once we dismiss, we need uh, folks taking down the the centerpieces and tablecloths and tearing down tables and carrying them into the life center. We get to do something this Friday that is a a privilege for us and has been a long time tradition here at the Hornwall Church of Christ. We get to serve lunch to veterans, and uh, uh, let's never make light of that and their service. And so uh, help us, if you can, uh, prepare for that uh, that event. Uh, also, tonight, it's, it's the first Sunday of the month, and so we will lift our voices together in song tonight. And so hope our song leaders are uh, getting together a list of what they'd like to sing, and we can just uh, lift the roof off the place tonight, praising God. Any other announcements that we have? All right, let's have our closing prayer, and we'll be dismissed with a song. Let us pray. Most loving, gracious Heavenly Father, we're grateful and thankful for another opportunity to come into your house, sing praises unto you, and study a portion of your, your word, dear Heavenly Father. Please let us take it and apply it to our lives, dear Heavenly Father. We come to you at this time because we have a lot of folks in our community that are ailing, hurting. We pray that you uh, lay your heathen hands upon uh, Diane Owen, dear Heavenly Father. Pray that you be with Chloe. We know that you are the great physician, dear Heavenly Father. And we know that we don't know tomorrow, but we know that you do. And we just pray that our faith is stronger than ever, and it will stay close to you. And we pray that you will lay your heathen hands upon uh, 
our, our loved ones, our friends, uh, and certainly our brothers and sisters in Christ, dear Heavenly Father. We just ask that you be with us in every aspect of our lives, dear Heavenly Father. Forgive us when we have failed you and help us to be better and stronger Christians and lead us back to the next point of time. Forgive us when we have failed you. And in Christ's name we do pray. And amen.
Yeah.